guys can head out. Is anybody else like me during that song? Something, 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 something. Something, something, something. Then chorus. Now I'm back in, baby. Yeah. All right. Go home, listen, get used to it a little bit. We'll all learn it together. So, hey, we've uh, come to the, the end of, uh, it's been an eight-week uh, dive into this passage in John 15. And uh, it's the hours before Jesus' arrest trial. And execution, and, and the hours are winding down, and Jesus is really only the only one that really knows that the clock is ticking like it is on his life. And so he's delivering some of his last words and instructions to his disciples. And in the passage of teaching we've been exploring, we sense that, that sense of urgency in Jesus' voice. How? Well, in, in Scripture, you know that because, um, and really in life too, like Jesus is repeating himself again and again, right? When a parent wants to get something across, I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, how many times have I told you, right? And then I make up some crazy number. I've told you a million times, you know, not to do that, right? But when we want to drill something in, and this is all really kind of happening on the last night of Jesus's life, this last evening he's spending with his friends, he said, remain in me, obey my commands, and love each other multiple times in the same evening. Jesus is desperate for them to understand how important it is that they listen and follow through on his instructions. And in these passages, going all the way back to when Jesus washes the disciples' feet at the beginning of this scene in chapter 13, you see just his investment and his commitment to be with them and help them every step of the way. He's promised that when he leaves, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to them to be in them, providing them with the power, the resources they need to live out the life that he's calling them to. He promises them that if they stay connected, remaining to the vine, um, that his life and his love will flow through them and they will bear much fruit. It will happen naturally. It'll flow out of that connection. It's not something we have to try to do. If we're connected to him, it just flows out because it's who he is. And he also tells them that if they stay connected, obey his commands, that the Father will answer their prayers in miraculous ways. Jesus is absolutely invested in their success at carrying out this good news to the rest of the world because he's their only plan. Or they're his only plan. That's what I meant to say, right? The disciples, this is it. This is what he's invested in. He's desperate for them to be successful. He wants them to know the joy that comes from being on mission with him. So I want you to open your Bibles for the last time here for a while to John 15, page 1537. Starting in verse 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. 
This is my command. Love each other. So most of us have probably experienced um, relationships, if you're of a certain age, uh, where you've, you've transitioned from what somebody that used to be a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a boss, that's now just become a friend. So uh, I've talked with you a lot about um, my high school cross-country coach and the impact that he had on me, but in my mid to late 20s, I was a teacher. I got to move back to Liberty and teach there, and I got to become my head coach's assistant coach for five years. And at that point in our lives, he wasn't really Coach Nixon anymore. He was just Tim, and we were peers, and we became really just good friends, right? And I actually taught with several other teachers that I had in middle school. Like I was on the same teaching team with ladies who had taught me in middle school. And that was super weird um, because they actually treated me like an adult. And I was just like, (laughs) I'm barely an adult, right? And I treated you all horribly not that long ago. Um, And I guess I kind of had pretend like I liked them too. Right, if the friendship thing was going to work out. So some of them gave me a lot of attentions, very undeserved back in the day. So it was rough. But that's, that's bizarre sometimes when, when that shift happens. Like somebody that used to be like this person and maybe are quite a bit older when they start to become just friends. That, that's an interesting shift. But whenever we begin a relationship with Christ, the nature of our connection with him changes. Scripture tells us that we are born again that we become a new creation in Christ. We are not the person we used to be. Our essence has fundamentally changed, which is great because what we used to all be was enemies of Christ. So that used to be our identity for all of us. That's how we were born to this world. But through the reconciling uh, action of Christ on the cross and his shed blood, we can now enter into a different kind of relationship with him. We have, now we have the access to become a friend of Christ. And friendship with him has a ton of benefits, none of which we earned or deserve at any level. So in verse 15, Jesus distinguishes between the relationship that a servant would have with a master and then relationship that friends have with each other. So let me ask you this. I'll put the question up on the screen here. What makes someone a friend? How do you know when that shift in relationship has transpired from or transitioned from stranger or acquaintance to a friendship? What are the markers that kind of happen that go from this person that I just kind of know to I consider this person a friend? What happens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, being more vulnerable and telling them deeper things about yourself. You're entrusting them with your heart. Okay, that's a great marker. Yeah. Yeah, you have something in common that kind of a shared passion that kind of is the glue of your friendship. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah, you can't see your life without them when something happens in your life. Like, who do you want to call and tell? Or who do you want advice from when something hard's happening? Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. This is the comfort level of your relationship changes. You can just kind of be with them. You don't have to put on a show or anything. Yes, back here. Okay. When you want to hug them when they leave. All right. Good. Instead of maybe like shoo them to the door. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a lot of great things you said. Yes, Randy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sharing life with someone. Intimacy. Guys, you guys got good. Perfect. Great job. Okay. So Jesus says that there's this shift that's gone on. I'm no, I'm no longer calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Okay. Friends know each other's business. <laughs> They're secret keepers. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, I want you to understand that that's how I see you now. You are my friends. The God of the universe calls us friend. Like that ought to blow us away a little bit. <laughs> the person that created all this, that's eternal, that's forever, is knows you and I by name and says, that's my friend right there. God had friends in the Old Testament too, but they were mostly just the big name guys. Guys like Abraham and Moses. Here's a couple of verses that kind of talk about that. Second Chronicles, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friends. So it's talking about how Abraham had this friendship relationship with God. And then in Exodus, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Okay. And we've talked about the difference a little bit in nature of God in the Old Testament and then the nature of God um, in the flesh in the New Testament and the intimacy and the connection, the, the vulnerability of the difference between those two things, right? Um, those were unusually intimate relationships in the Old Testament. And God told guys like Abraham and Moses and some of the, the prophets, that he told them things, he warned them of things that he didn't share with other people. They were privy to kind of insider information about what was going on with the nation of Israel. And Jesus is saying to these disciples who would have known those stories and those scriptures, he's saying to them, God, that's how I see you guys. I see you guys as friends, that's the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. That's why I've shared things with you that I haven't shared with anyone else. I've told you secrets of the kingdom of God to this little circle here, the disciples, that I haven't shared with other people. Turn your Bibles over uh, to Matthew chapter 13. It's page 1392. Matthew 13 and verse 10. Jesus had just finished telling a parable. And Jesus spoke in these stories and parables all the time to the crowds. And he just told the parable of the sower. And in verse 10, it says, The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
And you see this theme carried on, like if you've ever read the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians and Paul talks about how God has revealed the secrets of the kingdom to the foolish. (laughs) And the wise in the world, you know, basically kind of don't get the information that Jesus is sharing about what true life is all about. Have you ever tried to describe the kingdom of God to someone who isn't a believer and had them kind of look at you like, what? <laughs> right? Like you start explaining like, yeah, like, you know, the, the greatest are the least and, and the last are the first. And, and we're supposed to um, forgive our enemy and actually and pray for them and like do really kind things for them. And we're supposed to forgive our brother 70 times, seven times if they come to us repentant. And it used to be confusing to us as well. (laughs) But then Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and it's like this light switch kind of starts coming on (laughs) and progressively over time, we kind of start to get it. It starts to make sense as we begin to, to live it out and see the truth play out before us. It begins to make sense. All these things that were kind of in the opposition of the ways of the world that we've kind of grown up with. We're his friends now and friends reveal things to one another. And so Jesus is revealing the secrets of the kingdom of God to the disciples and to us today. Some translations actually say, um, instead I have called you my most intimate friends. My most intimate friends. And that that phrase in, in both Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke, and Greek, which the scripture would have been written in, carries the meaning, those cared for from the womb. Those cared from, for from the room, my most intimate friends. God had his eye on us and his hand on us from the womb, knowing that one day we would choose him. When we took our first breath, God looked down on each one of us that follow Christ and says, that's my friend right there, breathing his first breath. And as we remain in Christ, our friendship deepens and matures and he rubs off, rub, rubs off on us and we become like him. Acts 4.13, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Jewish rulers notice that some of the disciples have changed. <laughs> Look at what it says in scripture. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus, right? This friendship was rubbing off on them in ways that was fundamentally changing who they were. That's what friendship with God will do to you. And after establishing this new friendship status, Jesus moves on to say, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus is the pursuer. Okay, we need a little bit of context here because he's kind of talking about this, this student and rabbi mentor relationship. At that time in Israel, students actually chose who their master was, who their rabbi was, that they were going to follow their teaching and their training. But Jesus had kind of flipped the script <laughs> and he had chose them, right? He walked around and said, hey, you, come follow me. Jesus is the pursuer. 
Jesus had picked these guys out. Listen to what Luke tells us in his gospel in Luke 6. I'm just going to read it for you. It's verses 12 and 13. It says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So there had been this crowd of guys, that, ladies and men, who were following him around, and he chose 12 of them. He didn't choose everybody. And we all know what it feels like to be on the playground when they're picking teams, right? <laughs> and sometimes that can be a really amazing experience if you're one of the first few chosen. And other times it can be a really horrible experience if the team gets stuck with you at the end, right? I guess we'll take so-and-so, right? Now, I was a decent enough athlete growing up that I tended to get pick, picked fairly early in that process, but that certainly wasn't true of me in every situation. All right, most of my life I've kind of shared with you, I haven't felt chosen by my earthly father. And it's a devastating feeling, and some of you guys can relate to this, to feel disposable. Like people could do life with or without you. Like you're not worth the, the time and energy to be pursued. And honestly, that's what got me running to God to begin with. When I first heard in high school at Young Life that there was a heavenly father who was after me, who wanted me, who was choosing me, man, that wrecked me. Jesus chose his disciples, and he chooses us as well, which is really cool when you think about it because it means he's got some skin in the game. Right? He, he wants us to succeed. We're people that he chose, not just people that he got stuck with at the end. He picked us. Look at verse 16 again. It says that he chose us, which means that we're set apart. And then it says, and appointed us. Okay, that means he's given us a role and a task. You appoint somebody to, to do something. He's chosen us. He's appointed us to do what? It says, so that you might go. That's an action statement where, where movement is expected, right? I chose you. I appointed you to go. This isn't just about producing fruits of the Spirit in our life. Okay, this isn't, we weren't chosen just so that our character would change. That's a part of it. But we were chosen to go, to do something, <laughs> to be on mission with him, to make an impact in this world. Nor were we chosen just to be saved. It's bigger than that. Right? We were chosen to be on mission with him. Go and bear fruit. When God chooses Paul in the book of Acts, this is what he says right after that. He says, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
right? Paul was picked and he was appointed and given a task and told to go and bear fruit. And then Paul later writes to the Ephesians, people that he, he had proclaimed the gospel to. In Ephesians 2.10, a verse that we're pretty familiar with, says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We weren't chosen just to be saved. We weren't chosen just to have our character changed. Those are all part of the thing, but we were chosen to go and do some things. And he's already prepared in advance things for us to do. Christian discipleship isn't primarily a fire insurance faith, but an active faith where God appoints us to go and impact the world around us. And not just some fruit, right? Much fruit. Fruit that will last. How did Jesus bear fruit? I mean, he did a lot of pretty amazing things while he walked on this earth, right? Impacted a lot of lives, did a lot of miracles. But his greatest act that bore the most fruit was his death. That was going to happen just not long after he spoke the words we just looked at in John 15. Look at what Jesus spoke to his disciples in John chapter 12. Says Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also must, will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Whoever serves me must follow me. Guys, here's the truth. We will bear much fruit to the level at which we are willing to follow the same path of downward mobility that Jesus did. Okay, we've talked before about Jesus' path was one of downward mobility, of, of rejecting the things of this world. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't try to seek thrones in Rome <laughs> or put a, a king's crown on his head, overthrow anything, right? He just gave his life away, took nothing to the cross, Rejecting everything the world could have offered him as the king of kings. There will be this correlation at the end of our life to how much fruit we bore. will be compared to the level at which we embrace this idea of a downwardly mobile life. Of letting go of the things of this world and all of its pleasures and comforts and temptations and saying, God, more than I want those things, I want you. I want to love you and I want to love others more than I want the things of this world. And it starts with washing a lot of feet, doing a lot of dirty work. He chose us, he appointed us to go, to go and bear fruit that will last. And then what does he say next in verse 16? 
He says, then whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. As I said, because God chose us, he's invested in our success. He wants to answer prayers that bring him glory, that we might share in his joy as many sons and daughters are brought to faith in him. Pastor John Piper said it like this. He said, therefore, be encouraged. Be very bold in your work for Christ is for you and his very honor is at stake in your success. What kind of reactions do you guys have to just that line of thinking that we've kind of been talking about today? This idea that Jesus chose you and so he's, he's, he's invested in your success. What does that do in you? How does that shape your thoughts? Yeah, Lydia. Yeah, yeah, so um, she says it's encouraging, but it also kind of pushes probably against the world's view of what success is, because success uh, in his kingdom might always not always look like, like was the cross success? Yes, ultimately, it didn't look like success on the surface, right? Hey, at the end of this three years, I'm going to get up on the cross and be killed, it's not how you'd plan out, you know, uh, a movement to change the world, usually, you would think. Okay, that's a great point. Yeah, what else? If I, like, right now, um, above your head um, was a little hologram, and it was a boldness scale from 1 to 10... Where would that be on you right now, right? It says, be bold in your work. Christ is invested in you. He believes in you. He's for you. He's going to provide for you. That should make us extremely bold in our faith to believe in, in who God says we are, right? Where would that boldness scale be on you? Does it need to be moving to the right, <laughs> higher, right? And I think some of that, that confidence that we gain is knowing that he's, he's in this with us. We're not alone, right? He's empowering us. So often our boldness, uh, our lack of boldness is because we only see our capability, right? We look at ourselves and we think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I don't really have that great of gifts or that much influence. And so what could God do through me? <laughs> right? We need to see things that well, God's in the business of increasing our capacity. He's in us, the creator of all things. We've talked about this, like the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself is in us. That makes you unbelievably powerful and gifted. And the shift has to take place. And that's not only us understanding that, but we need to be in circles with other people who remind us that that is true. Right? I get more bold being next to a bold person. That inspires my boldness, okay? So look around the room. Who's, who's dials over at the eight or nine? Hang out with those people. 
For the third time in this upper room discourse, Jesus says again in verse 17, love each other. (laughs) And what's the standard again? Remember back in verse 12, we talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Guys, is is the love that we express and exhibit to one another just right here in Wellspring? Because remember, we talked about when Jesus shared this, he's like starting with just, just the 11 guys left in the circle. And so if you bring it down real tight and say just, just, just the people in this room this morning, is the love that we have for one another radical? Is it selfless? Is it generous? Is it gracious? Is it something that people in this room couldn't find outside of our walls, out in the world? Is it unique? Is it compelling? Because if it isn't, it won't draw people to find at the source of those loving actions, Jesus. That's how the gospel of Jesus Christ spread so quickly and so radically in the beginning. Christians loved each other with uncommon love, right? Go back and read Acts 2, 3, 4. People selling everything giving it to people who didn't have as much, making sure nobody went hungry. That was radical. Christ-like love has to flow from a life committed to following Jesus' path to the cross, a life willing to die to selfish motives so that others might flourish. Guys, if somebody were to ask you, what's going on down at Wellspring? You might say, oh man, their band's really good. Speakers, all right. Youth ministry, kids ministry stuff is just so phenomenal. And all that stuff is fine. But what I hope that you would say is that, man, those people really love each other down there. I was loved in a way that I wasn't expecting when I went there, right? Like Jesus says, you know, they'll know your mind by your love, not by like, man, you sing awesome or you really powerful, charismatic speaker. There's lots of those kinds of speakers, better speakers than me out in the world that aren't Christians, right? But the kind of love that Jesus offers is unique and uncommon, <laughs> and compelling, that's what we need to be known for. Does Jesus call you friend? Do you remain in him, obey his commands, and love each other? And we're all probably thinking, well, not all the time, (laughs) but that's our desire. Is that your desire? God, I want that more than anything. How do we know if we're doing those things? We just have to ask the question, is there lasting fruit in our life? Not just character change, that's some of it for sure, but also impact we are having on those around us. Are we in community with other fruit bearers? We ought to be able to look around our circle of people we hang with and just be able to go around the circle and just count the fruit, man. And that we see in in people's lives. Are we in community with those folks? 
Are we allowing God, remember way back in the beginning of John 15, are we allowing God to prune us, to discipline us, to, to cut us back a little bit so that we can produce more fruit? Are we open to his instruction, his rebuke at times, his care for us? Have we given permission to friends and mentors, brothers and sisters in Christ to challenge us to love more radically and to call out the places where we are inconsistent? Have you done that? That's something, like if I'm going to say, I've said that a thousand times. I've probably said it 10 over the course of the years here. Have you looked somebody in the eye and said, given them permission, that when you see me acting in inconsistent ways with the gospel, tell me. Call me out. <laughs> Call me to a higher standard. And do it in a gracious and loving way, right? Speak the truth in love. But that's how we get better, guys. That's how we become more like Christ. I need some grace and truth tellers in my life. Who are your guides? Remain in me. Remain with the Father who created us and chose us, appoints us. Remain with the Savior who loves us, who calls us friend, who died for us. Remain with the Spirit who takes us home inside of us and empowers us. I don't know about you, but that's a relational connection that I want to foster and grow and lean into more in my life. Because when we do, lives are impacted for eternity. And the Father's joy resounds in us and brings him glory. Guys, what I'd like to do as we end this morning, first of all, I just want to give you some reminders. Um, Matt has made another uh, poster uh, for our sermon series, and we've got some pins up here. We'd love for you guys to come up and and write on those things today, just something you're going to take away from this series. But I'd love to just take a few moments this morning before we go. I want you to be thinking in your head, every one of you right now, okay? Because I know most of you aren't going to raise your hand. I want you to be thinking, what, what is the one or two things that I'm going to take away from this series, this whole idea of remaining in Christ and what he calls us to? What's stuck with you? And if you have something you'd like to share that we can all be encouraged by, that would be awesome. Okay? Anybody have anything that you're like, man, I'm just, I'm, this is going to stick with me from this series? Yeah, JV. You mind if I just hand this to you? And I don't have um, to try to repeat it all. <laughs> and so I was saying my, my spiritual life has been in a weird place. And I think all of us have been in that place where it feels kind of just dark and kind of lifeless. Um, and I was thinking to myself, trying to diagnose, okay, well, what, what's going on? Um, and this sermon series really brought back this idea of remaining. But I was like, okay, well, how do I like practically remain? And I had this thought. I think someone said it, but it made me think of you haven't remembered what I've done already you've forgotten. Like that song we sang this morning says, mm -hmm. remind me. And this word just remember just keeps coming back and back and back to my head of that's where I, I lost my footing is life or whatever makes me forget mm. not only what God has done, but what he's doing now and what he's promised. 
Um, and so this sermon series has really kind of given me the practical, like, how do we remain? For me, is I have to start by remembering what he's done, and that then empowers me to go and be obedient and, and live like Christ did. Um, mm. So, yeah, that word remember is pretty pretty powerful for me. Yeah, and the cool thing is, is that um, when we remain in Christ, we're really, we're really staying connected to the Holy Spirit. One of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught us, right? So that's what's naturally going to happen as we stay connected is that we're going to remember because that's what the Spirit's job is, okay? So if he's doing his job, that's what should happen. We should remember. Good. Anything else? Other takeaways? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to hand this to you. So I've been in a weird place in the last six weeks with Can my... Can you be in the same place as Justin? <laughs> <laughs> Where is this place so we can avoid it? <laughs> it's a weird place. <laughs> oh, yeah, right over here. <laughs> um, you know, with my... I um, was let go of my job from my job six weeks ago, and, I mean, I thought about falling apart, but I just... I'm in a different place with my faith than I have been in the past, and so just... And this series was just such a godsend that, you know, remaining in him and so just trying to be connected to as many Bible studies as possible and mm -hmm. the women here. And so I'm just, you know, you said, I believe last week or a couple weeks ago, vul our action requires vulnerability. And so I'm just trying to be as vulnerable and open and also trying to stay as, po as positive as possible. But this mm -hmm. series has really helped to just, you know, it's not about me. <laughs> it's, you know, and I want to figure out what it is I'm meant to do for him on this earth. And so having this series has just really opened my eyes to, you know, it may look different than I have ever imagined in my life, but it's what God wants. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah, and just even this idea that more important than my next job, <laughs> which I can't control, is what can I control, right? Who am I for whatever the next job I might have? Right? Am I going to reflect Christ well and wherever God has for me next? That's good. This is so encouraging. Thank you guys for sharing. Anything else? Yeah. Sorry. Are you sure? It's not that deep. Okay. Just this whole time, this three-minute truth doesn't lie. It's either there or it's not there. I mean, it comes into that I have been watching. It's like, is there fruit? Is that? And what is Mm. Yeah, just talking about the fruit. The fruit. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So along with just the fruit idea, the fruit that comes from being connected to the vine, it shouldn't. It's not to struggle. And if you don't like the fruit that you see in your life, you can't just staple different fruit. You got to figure out what am I connected to that's producing this? Because you're going to just outgrowth in whatever you're connected to. And I yeah. think a lot of times we, I, want different fruit, so I go get the fruit I want, and I just try to add it to my life instead of figuring out why is it just coming naturally. Yeah. And it's all in good, good faith, you know. I need to read my Bible more. I need to connect with more Christians. I need to stop doing this or start doing that, which is just stapling a bunch of stuff mm. on. Yeah. Um, instead of figuring out. What am I connected to that's causing me to be in the place I'm at? Is it mm. chasing this or wanting that? Yeah. 
or we don't like the process, right? It's like, I want to be more humble, but I don't want to spend time with Jesus, <laughs> right. right? It's like, well, good luck, right? Um, yeah, it's good. Anything else? Yeah, Matt. I think just um, allowing us to spend some time and just kind of basking in this uh, visual metaphor is like, wow, Christ, his creativity is just just amazing and very helpful um, just to the point where um, what, you, what you were sharing and just uh, as I'm trying to, oh, I know there's something about fruit that I need to produce, you know, a branch is going to have to get really clever <laughs> and really exert a whole lot of energy to produce any sort of fruit um, apart from the branch. However, this, that, is, that gets really complicated and gets overwhelming. However, the simplicity of being connected to the vine is really refreshing. Mm. That there is simplicity and I am going to stay close to Christ. Mm. Um, and he is going to be what brings that fruit from me. So it, just, it is really, it is, it is good news. It mm -hmm. is the good news that I can be connected to Christ and not spend my energy trying to be clever to manufacture fruit. Yeah. And guys, listen, if you don't take away anything else... Connection is not have to, something you have to seek. Connecting, connection is something that is true of you with Christ. You are connected to him. It's realizing that you are. Living like you are. Acknowledging that you are. And then living out of that. It's not like, well, I'm just not connected to Jesus this week. No, you are. You're living like you aren't. So start living like you are. And believe that that's true and that what he wants to do is empower you to go and bear fruit and live those things out. It's not something you have to claw and scratch to find through your own self-discipline. Okay? That's what makes the gospel beautiful. You don't do anything. God provides everything. And you just acknowledge that it's true and trust living in it. I need a break, <laughs> which is why we're bringing some people up here in just a moment. So, hey, let me pray for us as we conclude this. Lord, thank you so much for these truths. Um, man, just all of it's just overwhelming. God, that you um, made a way for us to be connected to you when we were enemies of yours. You welcomed us home and into your family and called us friends called a son, daughter, brother, sister, heirs to the king. And you provide everything that we need to be the people that you've asked us to be. And you ask us to just live into that, trust it, believe that perfect love, peace, joy, power, all those things is in us already. Just waiting to get out. Jesus is eager for our success, meaning just he wants his truth and his love to just flow through us to this world so that people can experience the hope, the joy, the forgiveness, the grace that we've experienced that they desperately need. God, make us people of the vine. Help us to, to embrace the, the pruning and the discipline process at times so that we can bear much fruit that will last, Lord. Help us to be bold people, to be go people. When you call us to things, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time in your word. 
pray that it would yield a lot of fruit in our life moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.